name woke me up, actually, and I'm an early rider. My mother's voice was on the other line. It's mama, Selena. Grandmommy died during the night. I've heard the words. My body tensed, and tears leaked from my eyes. A bowl of hurt raised in my throat. I remember being on my bed with the phone in my hand, sitting on top of a quilt that my grandmother's mother had made. I remember staring out the window. Rach and I, we just moved to New York from San Francisco when that news came. We'd only been there about three months, and those months had been rocky ones. September 11th had happened during our first month here, before I even figured out where I lived in Queens, much less how close those towers were to my temp job. Weeks after that, this phone call, it came. It was the loss of a family matriarch and a kindred spirit. A woman who knew me before I really knew myself. And we went back to Mississippi for the wake, the funeral, and Thanksgiving all rolled into one. So I found myself back in my childhood home, breathing alongside my family and trying to remember all the stories, cataloging them, bringing them up, because I didn't want to forget a one. She was this tall woman who stood at what she said was 5'11", but was surely well beyond it. Then with her silver boots on and her high heels, she soared over everyone. And with her southern lady style, she embraced jewelry and scarves and gloves and purses. Now, as you know, this is not my way. <laughs> when we were little, my sisters and I, well, we would play in our costume jewelry. We would wrap ourselves up in our flowy scarves and even pull on those long, silky gloves. It was the best kind of imagination play. I was dressing up as my real life. So when she passed and I was home, those memories of dress-up played in my mind. I asked my mom if I could have one of her gloves with me to take back to New York. I wanted to feel her grasp somehow. I hoped to smell her, too. I figured the glove would have captured that slightly sweet floral scent of her. I figured it would be a glove that she'd worn and that maybe had even held my hand. I might even have dressed up in that one. I wanted to hold onto the memory of her hand in mine. Memories are mysterious, aren't they? How memory works, what triggers them, where they can take us. Our memories, they hold tiny bits and pieces of ourselves that add up to how we see and know the world how we engage with others and with ourselves. They hold our identity and our relationships, our struggles and our setbacks. And some memories we cherish and want to hold as tightly as we can, so never to lose hold. And then other memories we wish we could just extinguish once and for all and stop them from somehow seeping into the presence of our days. Joan Didion writes beautifully, about the intricacies of memory as experienced through grief. Her book, The Year of Magical Thinking, traces her experience of the loss of her husband and then later her daughter in the same year. And the narrative follows her emotional thread, which is anything but linear, mind you. 
this fervor that fills the crowd the next day in Jerusalem. They know what he's done, and they are clamoring for more. Palms are waved by the crowds gathered, symbolizing for them political and military prestige and pomp. And here's where John's memorization begins. They greet him this way, and it's unprompted by Jesus. The crowd shout, Hosanna, and call him King of Israel. But Jesus is just walking into the city normally on foot with his disciples. And when he sees this kind of greeting, the fanfare given to the military might, then Jesus reacts and he constructs his entrance. Here, John remembers that Jesus goes himself and gets a donkey. He doesn't have somebody get it for him. He does his own fetching, and he goes and gets this humble beast of burden, and he sits down on it. And then, then he makes his way through the crowd. It's a correction for the crowd. It's a lesson to them. No, he's saying with his actions, no, I am not that kind of king. No, don't wave those symbols of oppressive power at me. No, that's not what my life is about. Instead, Jesus enacts the collective memory of the Jewish faith, where Jeremiah foretold the king of Zion would come sitting on a donkey's colt. And it's at that moment in the story when the disciples, they just clue in before John tells us that they did not understand these things. But when he's glorified in a manner opposite to what Jesus wants, when Jesus sits himself down on the donkey, he found himself and rides through the people against all royal custom. That's, that's when the disciples remember the things that had been written that's the moment that their memory kicks in. Deep down inside, a recognition sparks, and they see who Jesus is. They remember he was more than a rabbi. He was more than a miracle man. He was more than the greatest power because he shrugged any vestige of it off. He was the revolution. The bridge between the divine and the earthbound, the Messiah. Jesus was the one that they had memorized scripture about as his. In an instant, the disciples remembered Jesus as though he had been forgotten, even though he had been right beside them the whole time. The disciples recaptured a memory that had been lost even to them. They got Jesus back. The donkey riding, palm shirking, humble revolutionary of love. And something as elusive and powerful as the memory of a story made the Messiah real for them that day. I had a professor at seminary who believed that to be a faith-filled Christian, all you needed to have was a Bible in one hand, science section of the New York Times and the other. And I don't think she was wrong. I learned this week about an astonishing advancement in science. An episode of Radio Lab on NPR was brought to my attention by a friend. It's an episode about recent developments 
and Alzheimer's research concerning memory. Neuroscientist Lee Wei Tsai and her team at the MIT Brain Institute have made discoveries that completely challenge the assumption of an entire medical field that memories can be lost forever. It's been the standard belief in the fight against Alzheimer's that once the plaque builds up around the brain and the disease advances, the lost memories of a person, well, they're unrecoverable. They vanish. This has been the standard thought. But an entirely different truth has been revealed through Sai's work. They focus their efforts on the beats of the brain, which normally, in firing neurons back and forth in complex patterns, elicits a fast-paced beat called gamma. When the brain produces gamma beats, it can perform all these complex functions. It can remember when it doesn't. As in the case of an Alzheimer's patient, memory has been assumed lost. But these awesomely brilliant scientists decided to mimic this pattern of a beat by simply flickering LED lights at fast, fast frequencies in front of the eyes of mice with advanced brain plaque. And the results show 50% decrease of plaque and the recovery of complex brain function. So if you're not asleep yet, <laughs> These mice that had been put into the same space over and over again and had forgotten it each time before they received visual stimulation suddenly could recognize it. They recovered memories from what they had formally experienced. Now, what they found in essence was a pathway to recover memory. It wasn't lost after all. And the impact on humans as trials are underway now is huge. So when family members and caregivers of Alzheimer's patients have long wondered, does my mother even hear me? What's the point in talking if she doesn't respond? Can she remember the day I was born, when I was married, when I had my own child? The research shows the remarkable probability that yes, in fact, she can. And when the plaque on the brain erodes, the memory of the birth, the name, and the life of her child come back, it's miraculous. The brain is storing memory that has to find a way out, but it's still there. It's got me thinking that we absorb so much in our days, in our lives, and we get snatches of this knowledge and bits of that history, washes of emotion and the constant bombardment of the sensations and stimuli of the present moment. And among all of that, we also hold some really important stuff, some life-giving lessons, some soul-stirring truths, and some memories that when recovered, they can totally change our lives if only we bring them back to our consciousness. Requires complex brain functioning, mindful focus on recovery, and the desire to learn not only from our own past, but also from those that came before us. We can find new life in very, very old experiences. And we can rediscover memories that transport us powerfully into brand new knowing. And so, at the start of this holy week, let us be reminded
that possibility. This is a week, after all, that's dependent on the collective memory of events that changed the world. We have the opportunity, like the disciples, to remember that we are led by a different kind of king into an entirely different kind of life. And we've got to remember that. So this week, let's engage fully. Let's immerse wholly. And let's remember the story that changed the world and allow it, once again, to change us.